going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of Dear Heart and the Brain podcast. This is a podcast where I talk to you about fitness, nutrition, peak performance, and a wide range of things that we already know in human psychology. I'm your host, Jess Wong, and I'm very happy to have you on today. As always, the goal of this podcast is to provide science-backed information to help you get to the next level, whether it's your fitness journey, your career, your school life, your business, your relationships, your future mission, or even the way that you perceive yourself. In today's Thursday episode, we have a very special guest by the name of Mr. Ian McDowell. Ian is a 23-year-old material science engineer with passions not only in biomaterials and environmental sustainability, sustainability and also mental health. So let's welcome Ian. Hello, hello. How's it going? Yes. So for those of you who are listening on Spotify, Ian has flexed his biceps and triceps, shoulder work going on. And in today's episode, especially with the first topic, he will be bringing this self-introduction of his upbringing, of what has has shaped his perspective, along with some key experiences that he's had and how he can introduce a call of action that he's had that has helped him take action in the field of mental health. Okay, hello everybody. So my name is Ian McDowell. As she said, I am a 23-year-old material science and engineering uh, major. And basically I've been diagnosed with ADHD since I was five years old. I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety since 19 years old, but more realistically, I had it since I was about 10 or 11. And I've currently been able to handle and manage ADHD, anxiety, depression, and OCD. And so I've had a lot of difficulties in the past, especially with regards to addiction. That was one of the biggest things I went to in order to help treat my mental disorders without going for proper treatment, you know, therapy and lifestyle changes. And that wound up really having a negative impact on me. And I know that a lot of other friends of mine have dealt with addiction or have gone towards really negative habits to try and ease the pain of mental health or having a mental disorder. So I've become very passionate and just trying to help people overcome that, especially through natural lifestyle changes. Don't get me wrong, medication can work really well for some people, but overall, more long-term lifestyle changes are going to make a bigger difference. So that's what has made me very passionate about is just, I have suffered through having mental illness pretty much my entire life. And I've been struggling with addiction for my entire life as well. And so I am become very passionate in helping others overcome that because life can be really, really good on the other side. It's just a matter of getting there. Mm-hmm. For sure. So thank you for being vulnerable with sharing the comorbidities that occur because of ADHD symptoms and comorbidities in terms of psychiatric conditions as well as somatic conditions um, often are manifested with a a patient with ADHD. Could you explain a little bit more about what comorbidities are and why do patients with ADHD are more susceptible to those comorbidities? So for anyone that doesn't know, comorbidity is just another condition that exists co-occurring with another condition. So the prime example is, I believe ADHD uh, patients are about 70% likely to have another existing condition. Most common ones are depression, anxiety, and bipolar, but other ones such as schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, etc., are also possible. But the depression, anxiety, and bipolar are probably the most common. And so with regards to ADHD, I feel as if a lot of these disorders are subsequent with regards to the consequences of poor treatment because I know a lot of people that got diagnosed later in life, you know, towards mid-teens, late-teens, early-twenties, 
and they've been struggling their entire life with not being able to pay attention, not being able to complete projects, able to complete tasks, and of course, not being able to function like everyone else has made them very anxious or depressed because they feel as if they're not doing enough, they're underachieving, and they think there's something inherently wrong with them. But the reality of it is, it's just the way that you're wired, and getting proper treatment can make a huge difference. But these conditions, the comorbidities, happen as a result of improper treatment or a misdiagnosis because mm. it's quite easy for someone to miss a diagnosis with regards to ADHD. It's very specific and it's something that I feel as though people sort of take for granted with regards to um, they think that it's completely normal the mm. symptoms that they're having when the reality is that it isn't. It's just normal for them. And so because that trudge through it they don't really seek any medical guidance and because of that they might not get properly treated and so mm-hmm. these conditions these other conditions are quite likely to develop mm-hmm. for sure for sure you talked about how when you were a young boy you were first diagnosed with ADHD and then you were going into your early 20s at 19 and um, you were also diagnosed with other psychiatric conditions at the same time and I was wondering how your perception of yourself as you gained awareness from a young boy into a, a late teenager and now as a as a 23 year old engineer like how has your perception and relationship towards the symptoms and your lifestyle have developed over these three like really milestone parts of your life so i would say when i was younger i was definitely very harsh on myself because my parents had told me and this is to know um no criticism towards them they would have no idea knowing this but when i was younger i tried quite a few different adhd medications and they all had side effects they all seemed to not really work particularly well so my parents the doctor said okay let's take him off of that. and so i went through managing not exactly thriving but managing getting good grades throughout elementary school middle school and high school and the develop the stigma of oh I don't need to be one of those kids I don't need to be on medication when the reality is when you're dealing with a mental disorder you should use every tool at your disposal everything medication included a lot of people like to shame medication saying oh you know you don't want to be drugged up you don't want to you don't want to be relying on this for the rest of your life and the reality of it is yeah of course you don't they're not designed to be used that way they're designed to be basically like glasses for somebody you know someone who has poor vision of course they you give them the glasses they can see fine same thing with the medication the medication for the neurotypical brain they don't have enough dopamine in their brain in the prefrontal cortex they don't have enough dopamine receptors and so they can't pay attention as well they can't listen very well and so you give them the medication all of a sudden oh this is what's like to be normal and so I feel as though as I age, the stigma definitely got broken down and my stigma towards mental health disorders broke down as well because I used to be ashamed of the ADHD, of the depression and anxiety symptoms. And I will admit my lifestyle habits were not that great, you know, poor diet, bad sleep, etc. And so that also contributed to the depression and anxiety. But I definitely became more accepting of who I was and just realized, okay, this is a part of who I am. This isn't something to be ashamed of. This is no character flaw. This is just a a different hand of cards that I was dealt compared to most people. And I can make the best of it. For sure. How old were you when you, it it sounds like a shift of a mindset shift of um, life happens. um, 
to me but then that now that new mind shift is kind of like life happens for me how old were you when you saw this difference in, per- in perception honestly it was probably a couple years ago i would say when i was 20 or 21 mm. because i finally realized that okay what i'm doing doesn't work I've been smoking pot a lot in order to cope with depression, anxiety, and ADHD symptoms. I had horrible sleep. I was not getting good grades. I was not functioning well. It was one of the darkest times of my life, in all honesty. And it was one of two times I legitimately had some passive suicidality and contemplated. And it took me calling my parents and finally admitting to them, hey, I need help. I need to do something. I think I should get medication. I think I should see a therapist mm-hmm. to finally realize it's okay to need help. It's perfect. And it's okay to have this as a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it really did make a difference just having the right tools makes everything so much more manageable and it really does make it so life happens for you. Basically, you change the world to work for you. Mm-hmm. instead of changing yourself to work along with the world you know mm, it's perfectly sure. fine to stand out but you just need to realize that it's okay it's perfectly fine you need to make the world fit to you mm-hmm. wow for sure engineering our environment something that not all people feel is possible and i love i love that breakthrough of of releasing yourself from a mental prison of just some 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 feelings of of shame guilt and anxiety surrounding the symptoms that you're experiencing and when you free yourself from that mental prison your symptoms of that that were that were that were really really hard to manage at one point were were becoming an ally not an enemy and i think that's a beautiful thing and a lot of times when you were sharing that about that journey you used the word tool and my follow up question for you is how can someone see that the medication prescribed to them for a mental condition that that they're experiencing can be used as a tool and not as a crutch to rely on. So, I'll bring this back to the glasses idea and let's take it a step further. Let's say you're trying to become a better marksman, you know, a better shooter, a better driver or a better writer. Those glasses that you put on, they're not going to ha- make you more skilled at shooting the gun. They're not going to make you more skilled behind the wheel. They're not going to make you more skilled with a pen. But they will allow you to see the sights of the gun, to see the road ahead of you, to see the paper that you're writing on. Mm-hmm. Same thing should be applied with medication because mm-hmm. yes, they do improve things, but the fact of the matter is you're going to suffer with these symptoms for as long as you are willing to not make a change because mm-hmm. they are a tool, they help balance your neurochemistry. But guess what? It's not a complete fix. You still have to work on yourself. You still have to build a good diet, build good sleeping habits, build a decent exercise regimen. Mm-hmm. You know, taking this pill isn't going to magically make you ace every single test, make you a whiz at talking to people. It, it just isn't going to do that. It will give you the foundation that you need to give you a fighting chance. It isn't made to give you an unfair advantage over the rest of the population. It's meant to give you an even playing field. Guess what? The people on that level playing field, they have to work just as hard as you do when you're on the playing field. So, you typically have to work harder than the neurotypical brain. And that's something that you should keep in mind. Again, this is a tool that will help you make things easier and make skills easier to learn and retain. But the fact of the matter still stands, you still have to work on building those skills. For sure. So it's not the one-stop shop that some people rumored it, it is to happen and um you spoke about 
addiction that was happening in your early 20s during a really challenging part of your life. And I want to go into the next topic of your journey of overcoming that because going to therapy sessions, having medication, those two things doesn't magically grant you and and over uh, overcoming your addiction. And I'll also love to hear what kind of framework you would suggest for someone who is struggling with a similar sort of addiction um, that they can follow to do the same to break out of that, that addictive cycle. Oh sure. So I've been addiction probably as long as I've been diagnosed with ADHD. When I was five, six years old, the addiction started off with video games and television. And as I got older, probably junior or senior year of high school, transitioned to nicotine in the form of cigarettes and pot. And then I considered it just a hobby, not so much an addiction. When I got into college, it really started getting bad. I mean, I was smoking, hold on, excuse me. Um, I was smoking every single day, anywhere between three to 10 times a day. No joke, every single day. Same thing with vaping. Um, I had picked up an addiction to masturbation, which I know a lot, not a lot of people are willing to talk about, but it can be just as destructive. And so it was single-handedly one of the worst times of my life, just because it really does gut you of a full life. And one of the biggest tips I would give for someone who's trying to overcome addiction is, realize your why realize why you went to that addiction because it doesn't just happen out of nothing usually there is some sort of pain that you are running from that you are trying to sweep under the rug with that addiction but when you try and quit something that pain is going to come back the biggest piece of advice i can give for that is don't run from that pain don't try to sweep it under the rug by taking on something else, you know? Don't just sit inside watching a ton of TV shows or, you know, change from smoking pot to smoking cigarettes. You're just replacing one thing with another. Instead, really embrace that pain and try to heal through it and learn good coping strategies, you know? If you need to see a therapist, that's perfectly fine. There are a lot of people to go through some sort of talk therapy or at the very least have a support system in order to be able to talk things out with people. Because having support can be the make or break between conquering an addiction and being stuck in it. So I think just embracing your pain and having a support system are two extremely important things in order to overcome addiction. Another thing that I feel as though a lot of people don't realize, but makes a huge difference, change your identity. And this is what I mean by that. There have been a couple of studies to show that when a person is trying to quit cigarettes, they are more likely to abstain from cigarettes when they're offered. If they say something along the lines of, no thanks, I don't smoke, compared to the person that says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. And the reason why is because that person that says they're trying to quit, they still identify with their identity that was an addict. And so you need to try and redefine that identity and reshape that portion of your life to say, okay, this is this was a phase in my life, but this is not me any longer. I am this new person. This is my new goal, you know? If someone identifies themselves as a musician, they're more likely to continuously pick up the guitar. If they identify themselves as an athlete, they're more likely to keep a consistent workout schedule and diet. Same thing goes for addiction. Identify yourself as not being the addict. Identify yourself as the future self, the better self, and you will be much more likely to stick through it. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. I love that one. Um, I'm rereading Atomic Habits by James Clear because there's that one quote where um, you read an old book and to, to get inspired. And I really find that's true because reading it the second time, it just 
feels like there's so many things I missed. And one of the most important golden nuggets that James Clear shares is about being identity driven rather than process driven. Because our identity is our core, and it's basically the control center, the CEO of what drives our actions and whether or not we want to be congruent and aligned to our identity. And I love that you bring that up because a lot of people kind of brute force a process going on that isn't really who they are. And there's a lot of resistance to it. And they try to have a consistent pattern of like maybe one or two weeks and then maybe like week two uh, and, and week three, day one, and it gets really, really hard. And like, you know, I'm giving up. And and that really has to do with our identity because ourself, we are always trying to be congruent and always possible, of course. And that's where self-sabotage also comes in with the negative side. If I identify myself with a really negative identity, it's going to be really hard for me to really thrive in doing good daily actions that are habits that will help me thrive, of course. And um, self-sabotage is a completely different topic. And, and we see that there's a positive and negative feedback loop going on, right? But then when we try to quote unquote quit a negative feedback loop, it our brain isn't going to wipe out clear the memory of 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 those grooves that were that were programmed and the plasticity that happened from those bad habits that weren't helping us become the person we were. And for positive habits, it's uh, it feels it feels the same in the resistance of of that first um, learning curve. It is. And my next question for you is all about that positive and negative momentum feedback loop that I know that you are you are really aware of and, and have a lot of expertise in. So tell us a little bit more of why that's so significant in ADHD and also with tackling mental health symptoms. Very glad you mentioned this because this is something that I was going to mention back with the addiction thing. So <laughs> basically the way that these loops work is you want to typically start off small if you're trying to make a positive change in your life. For example, if you're saying to, if you're saying to yourself a New Year's resolution is for you to work out more, don't start off by saying, okay, I'm going to hit the gym three times a week for every single guess what you're going to overwhelm yourself chances are you're not going to make it to the gym past the first week start off small make a very small change small improvements made every day lead to huge impacts instead of saying oh i'm going to go to the gym three times a week and you've never worked out before say okay i'm going to go to the gym one time a week this week for the next two weeks and then two weeks goes by okay i'm going to go to the gym twice a week for the next two or three weeks try to apply that with much everything that you do and that includes with kicking an addiction one of the best tips that i could give for stopping an addiction is to fill that void that time that you know pleasure that you had with something else one of the best activities for kicking addiction is exercise it is a natural stimulant it releases dopamine serotonin and other feel-good chemicals and actually consistent exercise it increases your concentration of dopamine receptors. The science behind why addiction happens and why withdrawal happens is that if you engage in something that releases a ton of dopamine, such as smoking pot, if you keep doing it, your brain as a protection mechanism starts shutting down dopamine receptors. And so it takes more and more to feel the same effect. When you stop, you're starving your brain of dopamine. And so because of that, your brain just goes haywire. It wants that dopamine back. And it's not a pleasant thing. One of the ways to offset that is through exercise. And as you do this, and as you keep getting further and further along in the recovery path, your dopamine receptors start coming back. And so it's really important to just keep that in mind. It is very temporary. 
excuse me, but it takes time. You've done some damage to your brain's dopamine receptors, and so you need to give it time in order to naturally bring it back. Exercise is a great way. Cold showers is a brutal way, but it is possible. It does Absolutely. lead to it does lead to an increase in dopamine receptors in your brain. Intermittent fasting is another one. That's one that I think is a bit more extreme, and with withdrawals, appetite is usually a big issue. So I wouldn't necessarily focus on that. But find hobbies and passions to fill the void that you had that that you used for that addiction. You know, fill the time. Don't just be sitting around bored. If you're sitting around bored with nothing to do, not hanging out with anyone, then you're gonna be more likely to start thinking about it. Cravings are gonna hit, and you're not gonna have anything to help distract you from it. Keep busy. It's one of the best things you could do. But again, start small. Keep that positive feedback. Feedback loop going. If you succeed at one small action, you're gonna feel confident. You're gonna feel good. You're gonna have momentum, which is gonna make you more likely to keep going with that action and succeed, and eventually gradually build that up. And the more you build up, the more you succeed, the more momentum you get going. Until eventually, guess what? Maybe you're hitting the gym four times a week. Maybe you've been a month or two sober, and you never really thought it possible. It happened. All steps. You have to take it one day at a time, and you have、mm-hmm. to be gradual with yourself and be easy with yourself.、Mm-hmm. Just also keep in mind, the opposite is true as well.、Mm-hmm. The negative feedback loop is also possible. So if you are gradually doing one bad thing, say you cheat on your diet one day,、mm-hmm. okay, no big deal. It's supposed to be a cheat meal, you know, no biggie. You do it twice a week, three times a week. Next thing you know, you're in a bad habit of eating bad junk food. This is actually what happened to me when I got back on my addiction with pot the second time around. Is that I thought I could control it. I smoked once a week. Eventually, one time led to two, led to three, and I was literally back to smoking five to ten times a day. So just be very aware of that. And if you mess up and you relapse, this is probably the biggest mistake that I think people have. People have this black and white mentality where, okay, I messed up, so there's no point in me keeping to keep going. I'm just gonna binge again. You know, I'm just、mm-hmm. I smoked one cigarette. Okay, I messed up, so I'm just gonna smoke the whole pack. Right. Don't don't do that.、Mm-hmm. Two reasons why. One, I use the analogy of hiking. If you're hiking and you fall and you get your pants a little dirty. You're not gonna stop and roll them around in the mud, right? Just because oh, I got my pants dirty, so I might as well get them completely bathed. No, right?、Mm-hmm. You're gonna stand back up. You're gonna brush the dirt off. You're gonna keep on going. Treat relapses the same exact way, because the fact of the matter is, even though you relapsed, it does not reverse all of the recovery and all the progress that you've made up until this point. Your brain is going to take time to heal. Okay,、mm-hmm. you mess up once, so what? Reverses the progress a little bit.、Mm-hmm. You still have made it further than if you had been continuously smoking. So,、mm-hmm. brush the dirt off. Keep that, you know, keep that in mind. It's okay to relapse. You're human. It、mm-hmm. happens. Most、mm-hmm. important thing is to be gain awareness through it. Okay, what triggered the relapse? What was、mm-hmm. I thinking? What was I craving? Is there something different that I could have done?、Mm-hmm. Really try and analyze the relapse instead of getting sucked into self-critical self. Because、mm-hmm. you do that, you're going to be more likely to binge, and then you're back to square one. For sure, for sure. Especially as humans, we are naturally programmed to be more negative. Because our ancestors, tens of thousands of years ago, they had to be on the lookout for any predators that were going on, or a lack of food, or a lack of resources. Like literally, because now it's it's not really about resources for us in our generation. It's about resourcefulness. But it's so different back then, and 
and a lot of their newer programming has been passed down from generation to generation, and there hasn't been a lot of things that has stopped that program uh, and that pattern. And for for someone who is trying to build a positive feedback loop, and and basically has an action plan of what types of strategies they want, and of course it's not like a 21 day type of challenge, not a 30 day challenge, not a 75 hard challenge. If you heard of that by Mr. Andy F as well, but and this is like a long term affair. Right, and day after day and week after week, there aren't a lot of like、um, very observable and significant results that that kick in immediately, of course. And maybe it's even day day thirty one, or maybe it's day seventy five, or someone else is completely different for each and every person. And my question for you is, how can someone who is brand new at starting a a process to to redefine what habits they want in their life to gain faith and and develop that faith and and keep On persisting and being relentless towards it, without without quitting in in the middle, having a having a break that prolongs to an entire relapse or or regression or or being bored with the process. Like, what kind of tips could you give someone to to really stay disciplined and grounded during that process? So, first tip of advice, something that I mentioned before, get a support group. Whether it's a therapist, your family, your friends, people that you can trust and confide in, because. They can hold you accountable, and they can also be there for you if you're having cravings. Their support,、mm-hmm. again, can make or break your relapse.、Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference.、Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can absolutely make or break your progression. But going along with that, sorry, I lost my train of thought.、Mm-hmm. Um, things are going to be slow starting off. Again, the. The、um, road to recovery it takes time. You've done something for months or years, and so it's going to take time, and it's perfectly fine. You have to be aware of that. It's going to be a very gradual process. There are certain things you can do to speed them up. Probably again, the three biggest things I would say: healthy diet, regular exercise regimen, and for the case of addiction, cardio is probably the best because it causes the biggest endorphin release, and a good sleep pattern. Extremely important. While your body is recovering, it needs to have these good fuel sources.、It、needs to be able to get proper rest and proper fuel. So that's extremely important. In terms of recovery, it's usually exponential, and by that I it starts off very gradual. You barely know anything. You know you're in the withdrawal period, and then all of a sudden, say by day thirty, sixty, ninety, or longer, all of a sudden you start to know a much better increase. And that's what I experienced with my own addictions. For Hell, for example, this past July, I believe it was July sixteenth, was、oh, wow. the last was the last day of substance use, and I、oh, wow. quit caffeine, nicotine, and pot all at the same time. I would not advise anybody to do that.、Mm-hmm. It is an awful idea. Tackle one addiction at a time if you're going uh-huh. to. Uh-huh. But the first month, absolute hell. I didn't notice any improvements at、mm-hmm. all. Second month, almost the same. It was the third month. That I started to notice. Oh my gosh! Okay, I'm able to think more clearly. I have、mm. a bit more energy. My sleep is better.、Mm. Just really be aware that it is going to be a gradual process.、Mm. But again, the important thing with that is don't set it as a challenge. Don't set it to a certain time period. The、mm. best thing you can do is that identity shift. Because guess、For、what?、Sure. It does not matter whether it's day thirty or day sixty. If you're if you Say to yourself and really, truly believe to your core. Okay, I'm not a smoker anymore. It doesn't matter what day 
you are at, it does not matter what symptoms, whether withdrawal, post-withdrawal, whatever, it doesn't matter what you're feeling. You are going to be much more likely to stick with it. And the third thing that I would advise, engineer your environment. While you're going through withdrawal, motivation is at a low and discipline is mediocre at best. The best thing that you can do is engineer your environment to not be around these things. Try to keep away from triggers. For me personally, I had a boss where, I mean, I had no choice in this matter and I would have chosen differently if given the option. I was around a boss who every single day would smoke a pack or two of Marlboro Reds, would, oh, smoke, wow. a joint or, would smoke a joint or two, and uh-huh. would drink Red Bull like it was water. Literally all three addictions that I was trying to break were directly in front of me, around me, six days a week. Wow. And it was one of the hardest temptations to conquer. It is extremely difficult to fight that urge if it is directly around you. Engineer your environment. If you are trying to stop smoking, this might mean not hanging out with smoker friends or hanging out with people that smoke. And it it can just be temporary until you get over it. Again, the further away you can separate yourself from that trigger, the better off you will be and the more successful you will be in your recovery. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree with how motivation is temporary. Discipline is long term, but an engineered internal and external environment is forever. And something that I always found kind of kind of disappointing to hear was that whenever someone goes through a relapse whether it's in their in their weight gain weight loss journey in their setting a goal journey or or something that means a lot to their values and um when they fall off track people are saying wow it's because you're lazy it's because you're unmotivated it's because you weren't able to do these things but it's it's, at the end of the day it's none of them and most of the time it's the environment around that person that really encourages them in a negative way to go back to something that they weren't really a fan of oh yeah i definitely agree and not just that addiction is hard addiction Mm -hmm. is really hard as i said before it guts your life literally makes it so everything around you isn't as enjoyable as it once was it's extremely difficult and anyone that calls you lazy for trying to break an addiction i call bs yeah absolutely it, it limits your ability to function it limits your memory your motivation your physical energy yeah it, it really does take a toll on you and just be confident and patient in that it will pass regardless mm-hmm. of what other people say they are not experiencing what you are experiencing mm-hmm. they have no idea So don't trust their unjust criticism. Trust your own gut feeling. You will get through this. It is going to be a rough transition, but you will be able to get through this. Yeah, for sure. Don't ask for directions to somewhere, to someone who hasn't been been there, of course. And you talked about a a solid support system and a solid community. And oftentimes the folks, the the loved one and the folks in that community who are there to support you, I haven't really experienced the things that you've experienced. So you you kind of have to communicate how you would like them to serve you and help you out. And for you, I was wondering how were you able to communicate your needs so that the ones who were really caring about your journey and, and supporting you could actually help you out. One thing that I had to do that was quite uncomfortable at the time, I'm very glad that I did it. And since then it's gotten a lot easier, brutal honesty. By this, I mean, I was hanging around roommates that would always smoke. They would always smoke pot. And this is when I was trying to quit. So I had to be brutally honest with them and say, listen, I don't care if you guys smoke, don't do it around me. Just don't do it. I had to tell them exactly what my intentions were, exactly what I was. Hey, 
I might be off. I might be much more irritable and angry and pissy. And this is just how it's going to be. Please be understanding. For the most part, they were. Definitely just be really honest to the support system around you of, hey, I might be myself and I probably won't be, but that's okay. I'm still the person that I am. I'm just going through this process. And when I get out of it, I will be even better. So be brutally honest with the people and be brutally honest with yourself because withdrawal and addiction recovery is a very unique experience for everybody. Some people only have mild withdrawal symptoms. Some people have a complete personality change while they're going through withdrawal. That's how I was. And the sad thing is that people with ADHD have a much higher potential for addiction. But be brutally honest, you know? Okay, I'm probably not going to be the most pleasant person to be around. And that's okay. Because guess what? You're going through recovery. You're not supposed to be chipper every single day. Your body is literally rebooting its dopamine system. And that's a very taxing thing to undergo. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I would say is try to educate your support system as much as you can. Point them Mm -hmm. towards resources to where, okay, maybe they can read what the withdrawal symptoms are. Maybe they can read... You know how this affects different conditions for from ADHD to depression anxiety just really try to educate them regardless of what they've gone through or not just try to really educate them and point them towards resources that can help them get a better understanding because it doesn't I mean if they have never gone through it before then of course they're not going to know exactly what it's like yeah. you know I'm quite fortunate that I have a couple of friends that have gone through withdrawal before and then they've seen me go through withdrawal a couple of times. They've been extremely supportive. They know how the change is. And they've educated about it too. And that makes a really big difference because having a, an understanding support system really helps. Uh, wow, right on. You know, um, I'm really I'm really proud of you for the July 16th all-in quitting. You're closer to the one-year anniversary of the quitting than you are to the starting, which I think is an absolutely beautiful thing. And um, you're at a point where you can even educate other people about the framework that you leverage to get to where you are. And and I, I know that one thing that you talked about is that you went all in in it. And the thing about going all in and being really, uh, having a lot of mental clarity of what you exactly want is is how we can say yes or no to things, right? If we know that we exactly want X, Y, and Z, we're not gonna say yes to A, B, and C because we know exactly that we want only X, Y, and Z. And I think that that has a, that speaks uh, volumes about your character and, and your desires and what you wanted to do. And I think that's amazing. And I know we are approaching the end of the episode, so I wanted to introduce the last part of this, which is called the final five rapid fire. And basically these are the last five questions that are going to be completely different from each other, but I expect a short and brief answer, but of course you can elaborate after the short and brief answer. So let's go, okay? Let's do it. All right, so the first one is, what is your favorite part of being a Pisces? Oh gosh. Wow, that came out of left field. Um, Uh I would say probably a compassionate and generous nature. At least in general, with people that are Pisces, they tend to be a bit more understanding, sympathetic, and and caring. You know, they really like to get to know people for their personal qualities, not just a superficial get to know a lot of people. We like to sort of delve deep into that. The one thing is sort of a blessing and a curse. We're always caught between two paths. But the nice thing about it is that you can always choose one of those paths. So Uh that's at least my opinion about it. Okay, for sure. Do you also show that compassion towards yourself as a Pisces? Um... I try to. I've been getting better at it. The depression and anxiety make it quite difficult, but I've been getting quite a lot better recently. 
That's, right. That takes time. For sure. Love that. All right. Second question. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Make it so people don't have to feel pain. Mm-hmm. I would say the only problem with that is that that'd be unrealistic and without pain, you wouldn't know pleasure. But oh, I still don't sure. like, I still don't like to see people suffer in general. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a very, that's a very other centered type of superpower. So I think that's amazing. If you just whisk your wand, whew, no more pain forever. You, yeah, that would be awesome. Hold your hand wow. over the fire with no repercussion. Yeah, exactly. There's actually in, in neurobiology, we learned that, um, it's the it's the the uh, voltage gated sodium ion channels that have a mutation that cause someone to not feel pain when it comes to like those those hot hot fire things. Ooh, so, that's yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I know that you love neurobiology and neuroscience as much as I do. So that's awesome pretty cool. stuff. Yeah. Pretty next crazy. question. Yeah, we are. You know. So what's the last new thing that you've recently tried? The last new thing. <laughs> the last new thing. Oh gosh. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, gosh. You know what? I guess I'll count this. I'm trying to get really deep into reading because I've always had an issue with reading in school. Just, I could never pay attention. I could never focus on the page. It just never works. So I'm trying to make it to where every single day or every other day I'm focusing on reading at least a little bit. And I'm also going through a recovery of my own from the whole masturbation thing. And so that is a very gradual process. So I'm trying to sort of recondition my focus and reading is an amazing way to do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Jim Quick is a awesome proponent of, of reading and also um, audiobooks is, is also a good way to gain momentum. If you accidentally miss one day of reading, maybe we can like substitute in for 15 minutes of an audiobook as well and pick it up the next day. So I love that momentum loop thing that we're bringing it back to. So yeah, awesome stuff, you know. We got we got the reader Ian, right? His identity first. Ian is a reader, period. There yes. you go. <laughs> Let's go, bringing it back. Fourth question. What is one topic that you've always wanted to learn about? Oh gosh. Um, I would say I have a very bare bones knowledge of psychology. Despite me talking a lot about mental health, I don't know a lot of principles and I don't know it on a professional level. So I would say psychology, mm-hmm. either that or nuclear science because rocket oh, science wow. is just really cool. Uh-huh. Wow, that's awesome. Maybe like we can we get you to a rocket to Mars and you could learn psychology on and, and route there. So get some more efficiency going on. Yeah. Awesome stuff. La- last question of the final five rapid fire. What is one thing you wish everybody in the world knew about? About me or just in general? Both. Hmm. About me and something that you should know for other people is that there's more that meets the eye. A lot of people think that I'm the quiet dude in the corner when I am one of the more extroverted and I like to say socially awkward butterflies. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, don't be quick to judge someone by their character because you could be horribly, horribly wrong. And for it could sure. be a pleasant surprise, could be not. Um, for everyone else, you know, for everyone in general, I want people to know how to critically think, to not just blindly listen to something and not just blindly agree, but to actually think about something objectively, to be skeptic, to ask why, and to ask questions. Because I feel as if our modern generation is so quick to just 
hear something and immediately just latch to it instead of trying to think critically and really forge the, themselves, you know? Mm. And I think that's really powerful to be able to forge your identity and critically think in order to do that. Yeah, for sure. Asking asking the deeper questions to actually understand in a completely different way. Awesome stuff, Ian. Well, folks, there we have it. Mr. Ian McDowell in our episode, Tackling Mental Health Stigma and Engineering Action Plan. If there's one key thing that you learned in this podcast, make a quick video on your Instagram story about it. Tag me at Push with Jess so that I can see it. But other than that, I'm going to leave you with the same way I leave you in every single episode of Dear Heart in the Brain podcast. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate.